So we've been going through a little bit of a journey because we paused, we pressed pause on the Gospel of Luke, and then we said, hey, some, something good for you guys to think about, for me to think about, are spiritual disciplines, disciplines of the Christian life. Um, and then we also learned last week that another way of thinking about spiritual disciplines is to call them what the guys at DesiringGod.org, good website, go check them out, call habits of grace. And the idea is that disciplines or these habits are things that we should do um, regularly because they are part of how God communicates his grace strength um, to carry on, to persevere to us. And we're going to talk about three of them. Last week, we did part one of prayer, communicating with God, relating to God in that way. And then next week, we talk about the word of God. And the week after that, we talk about being church as a means of strengthening and of grace from God to us. And so our goal is that as we talk about prayer, we're going to talk about how as we relate to God in prayer, we kind of recalibrate our will to his, we recalibrate our thoughts to his thoughts. And if, if I accomplish my goal tonight by the Spirit of God, you're going to walk away wanting to enjoy praying to your Heavenly Father more, okay? Even perhaps desiring to memorize the Lord's Prayer as a template that you can expand on as you pray. So last week we said in the passages that uh, we read that our prayers in verses 5 and 6 have got to be sincere as opposed to showy, full of pretense, pretending to relate to God but actually caring about the people who are listening to us over here. So they must be sincere. We learned that our prayers must be unimpressive, quote-unquote unimpressive, because unlike the pagans, we're not thinking that by repeating the same thing over and over again or by some sort of weird magic ritual, we're going to twist God's arm and he will listen to us. It's not like that. We don't have to be impressive because our Father, verse 8, already knows what we need before we ask. So it's about our relationship with him. And then we finished off and we only managed uh, the first couple of lines of the Lord's Prayer saying that our prayers must reflect God's priority. And if we pray the way Jesus taught us, our prayers will do that. So, we managed three lines last week. Hopefully, we will do the rest tonight. So last week, our Father in Heaven, and we said, kind of like the picture of a father, maybe if you imagine a black and white picture over here, and we go, hmm, I know what this word means maybe, but we color it in by reading Luke chapter 15 and seeing the Father in the parable of the lost two sons, and we go, that's the dad. I'm talking about and that I'm praying to. We talked a little bit about that last week. Hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. So we pick up, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And if you've heard of C.S. Lewis, C.S. Lewis has this thing that he says in a book about heaven and hell called The Great Divorce. And he says, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, your will be done. And those that God says to them, your will be done. How very relevant for us to mention this. Does that view agree with what the Bible says? I think so. I think that the only people who are interested in wanting to know what the will of God is and wanting to see it done on the earth are people who go, well, my father's will is really good. As opposed to the people that God says, you have rejected me. And I will let you choose that way. 
So we find that actually desiring the will of God is something that God's children do because they love Him. When we love somebody, a friend, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a neighbor, when we love somebody, we want to find out what pleases them. Okay, it's coming up to Christmas time, and no doubt some of you here have got a friend in mind, or you've got your spouse in mind, as you walk, you know, on the high street or something like that, and you perhaps perceive a hint that maybe they would love this thing over here. I don't know, maybe they would love a um, tea calendar. I mean, I think that was a hint that was dropped in my household, I'm just saying. Um, something like that, I don't know. But your ears prick up, and you want to find out why, because you love that person who will be very disappointed if I forget to buy the tea calendar at this point. And then you love just watching their face light up as you give the very gift that perhaps they didn't even know they wanted. Similar to that, the children of God love their Heavenly Father. They love Him because He's appointed their salvation. He's prepared everything, everything so that they could be reconciled to Him. They love Him because He sent His Son to accomplish that salvation. They love Him because He's given us His Spirit so that every time we open the Scriptures, we know more of His great, loving, and eternal plan for us. So we want His will to be done. When you are praying at home tonight, before you go to bed, the Lord's Prayer, this is filling, this is fleshing out your thoughts of what you're praying for. You desire the will of God because you love Him if you belong to Him. You desire the will of God because it, the will of God, is good. Read Romans chapter 12 with me. Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is it? It's good. It's pleasing. It's better than all of our desires and plans of our own. Imagine this. If you had, okay, I was watching, um, this, there's, a, there's an app called uh, Be Real, and the idea of the app is that you send a picture of what you're doing every day, once a day, okay? So I have, I have one of you who I'm going to leave unnamed, okay, on this Be Real, and, uh, and you took a picture when you were studying of what's on your screen. I zoomed in. And I'm going to tell you right now, I tried to understand that biology. I got no clue. I got no clue what you're learning about. Okay? And then someone who's not here, Andrew, who's at university, I zoomed in on his <laughs> okay, medical degree at Cambridge. No chance. No chance. But imagine this. If my brain was big enough, in a manner of speaking, to understand it, I'd be amazed. But what kind of electrochemical signals are going through muscle fibers? That's what Andrew was reading about. Imagine here with me. If you could know all that God knows about why he planned the universe to be the way it is. If you could know as much as God knows, do you know what you would say? You would look at his plan and you would go, that is good. That's the best way. There is no better way than the plan of God. So when you and I are praying, your will be done. We are thinking, there is no better way. That is the way. So keep that in your mind, okay? And now add this. If you did know, 
or if you do read the scriptures and you know God's will for your life. Is it easy to do? When he says, this is God's will for you, your holiness. I mean, is it easy to be holy? Or please, can all of you teach me later on because you seem to think it's very easy and I don't find it easy at all. The Lord Jesus himself as a man prayed, didn't he? Didn't he? Let this cup pass from me, the cup of your wrath, but your will be done. That's telling me that even as I pray this and even as you pray this, if you find hard, you know God's will for your life, you don't want to obey it. He understands. Pray just that to him. Your will be done. Help me, Father. But that's not where we stop. On earth as it is in heaven. Look at the craziness of Christmas, right? We are, when people come into the church for the first time, they come maybe with ideas of angels flying around, you know, barefoot and naked and all sorts of weird ideas, right? Like little, little babies with wings on clouds or whatever. When I come to see angels in the Bible, you'll see where I'm going with this, hopefully. When I come to see angels, I come to see beings that are, even though they are scary and powerful and mighty, with all of their power and might, what they choose to do is to follow the will of God and they are the most contented beings in the universe for doing that. Like there's no angel in the skies just going, why doesn't God ask Gabriel, you know? He's always asking me to do this thing. Like imagine for a second, have you ever worked with anyone that you didn't have anything bad to say about them? Like, I mean, some of you just, you're just trying to find a place not to look at anybody else. Imagine for a second, the longer you work with somebody, the more you're going to see maybe some sin, some flaw, why they need to be a Christian as much as you. Why do I tell you this? Angels, as they obey God, how contented are they every time they appear? Praise Him, hallelujah, inviting. There's choirs of angels in the Christmas story because they were doing what they were created to do. That's what we want when we pray. Your will be done on earth as I see in heaven perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully, joyfully. I long for that, Father, to be like that here. I wonder if that makes you want to pray the will of God done on earth as it is in heaven. I wonder if that makes you want to pray that. What would make you pray, give us today our daily bread? These are all God's priorities for us, okay? Here is what I love. We're here at Walton Church, Sunday morning service. It's dead quiet. And in the background, a baby cries. Oh, I love that. I love it. Okay? Especially if I'm not preaching, if it's anti-preaching. <laughs> I love that. Because every time I begin to get, oh, what a nuisance, I remind myself, what is that baby doing? That baby is thinking to itself, no, it's not, but imagine that it is, thinking to itself, I cannot live on my own. I'm not a self-existent being. I must ask for help. If I need food or anything, 
I need to express my dependence upon my trusted adult by saying, ah! as that newborn or whatever age baby cries desperately out of their dependence, I remind myself that when I come upon this prayer, give us today our daily bread, I'm saying to God, I depend on you. I need you to give me, but make that plural. Us, the family of God, cannot survive without God's provision at all. Even of the most basic thing. Let me ask you this. If this is pub quiz night, you've got your sheet in front of you. What are the top three most basic staple foods around the world? If you say, got rice? Beans, ooh, interesting. That's a lower percentage there on that one. Sorry? Sorghum, sorghum is actually, no, no, no. Um, oh, I, I almost memorized the percentage as I was doing this this afternoon. <laughs> but it's a much smaller percentage than corn and then wheat. If we're talking about Jesus' time, which one do you think? Corn, rice, or wheat? Wheat, right? I mean, in the Middle East, we love bread. I don't know why I say we. I'm not from the Middle East. They love bread. And it is the most basic, the most basic food. This is what I love about the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. I want to pray, give us today our daily steak and chips. Our daily, perhaps, you know, wine, unless you're teetotal. Our daily, whatever, whatever it is, think about something good and luxurious. Okay? Our daily tartan. Our daily friendship and tar. Whatever it is. We would want all sorts of things, and yet, God our Father, through Jesus, teaches us. Ask me for the bread daily, and I will make sure you have what you need to follow me, to love me. So that your physical needs, yes, they will be met, but your spiritual needs, because Jesus is the bread of life, and that bread never runs out. And so when we come to pray this, we beg our God because anything else that we think we can get outside of him doesn't even have eternal value. We bring to him our anxieties about provision, about tomorrow, about finance, about whatever else we feel we need. And we say, remind me again, God, that without you, I can do nothing. Remind me again that although I am worried about food, shelter, clothing, that if I seek first your righteousness, all that I need will be added to follow you. So as we pray that, we think Jesus is the bread that doesn't run out. And so we beg of him for his help. And then we pray this. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I love telling of my Bible college teachers, because it was such formative years for me. I did um, this small little Bible college in York, opposite one of the city gates, and it was two years, so also where I met my wife, which is, makes it great, isn't it? They have a promise of a ring by spring, um, and it's, it clearly works it's here. Um, but one of my teachers was called Ed Major, uh, and funnily enough, he was in the army as well. It's quite an quite a abrupt person, okay? 
So he would be teaching, and then he would just say, go on then, Val, what is the answer to the question? And he would just be sort of <laughs> looking for a place to hide, to be mortified. But if on the off chance you gave the correct answer, based on the biblical text, boy, he would praise you. He would say, well, I'm going to pick on you, Val, okay, because you're lovely, okay? You forgive anything, it's wonderful. Better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission, I understand. So he would say, Val, well done, that was such a complete answer. What a fantastic mind you have there. Don't be proud. Immediately, you're soaring in the clouds and it brings you right down, okay? Do you have perhaps here this evening the person who will burst your pride bubble and bring you right down? Point to them right now. Who is that person? <laughs> who is that person that maybe would bring you right down? Now, this is what's amazing. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. They've already made the decision to follow him, to repent of their sins. And to these guys, Jesus is teaching, you must pray continually, forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. There is a danger that as we live the Christian life, we forget how sinful we are. There's a danger for me that I would forget that, even as I'm paid here to teach you the Bible, that I will forget just how messed up I am. But not if I am praying the way Jesus taught me. If I do that, my awareness will be as the psalmist in Psalm 51, as he says, against you and only you have I sinned. You are just when you judge. And yet, if this was all I prayed, without any assurance of forgiveness, I would be crushed, wouldn't I? Wouldn't you? 1 John chapter 2 says we have an advocate with the Father. We pray to the Father knowing we are assured of His forgiveness because Jesus the righteous is able to clothe us in His righteousness, we the unrighteous ones. The other thing that I love about this is if Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and he's saying, ask me for forgiveness, do you realize that he's expecting, he's not surprised by our sin tomorrow? He's not going, Val, come on. You were doing so well. You know, why have you done this? Stop picking on you now. That's not how God is going in his mind. He knows our need of him and yet he still chose to make us his children if you believed in him. And we continue to be reminded that we must come to him like one of the last two sons in Luke 15 comes to his senses and says, I will go to my father. And when he comes to his father and he's down on bended knee, ready to beg for mercy, he looks up, what does he find? His father running to him. When we come to the end of ourselves and we realize, man, I've done this again, I've messed up, I'm awful, and we, we kneel to pray, what do we do? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Just imagine now, as you are praying the Lord's Prayer on your own, all of 
your disappointing of God, all of your reoccurring sins, all of your failures, imagine them sorted by Jesus, forgiven because of Jesus. God never being the one who holds a grudge and will continue to bring it up. Tiago, but you did this yesterday. And yet he says, this scary line, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Help me out here. The proof of the pudding is in, yeah, not in the cooking, right? In the eating, not in the displaying, in the eating. I love this proverb because it has proven true for me every time. Most things are about food that are not about God in my life. But sometimes buying something in a cafe is just laden with overwhelming disappointment. Okay? As you walk in with the promise of perhaps a fruit tart. Beautiful, beautiful glaze on the top of it. And yet, after the first bite you discover, this fruit was grown in the UK and it is watery and tasteless. Looks great. There's nothing to it. Perhaps you understand the disappointment of going to a coffee shop that says, best coffee in town, only to find in the taste of it the adulterated, freeze-dried from a jar. Oh, dreadful. On the other hand, you may identify with the more satisfying desire of looking up and reading a review of a restaurant, dressing up, getting ready, walking through the doors to be greeted by the impeccable customer service the reviews have mentioned, which is only to be matched by the flavorsome nature of the dishes that first make your taste buds water and then sing. Do you identify with that? Perhaps you've not been to a good restaurant. Why am I telling you this? Something can look so great and you can assume all sorts of things, like that fruit tart. You take one bite into it and you're disappointed. I'm telling you this because the proof that we understand the forgiveness of our debts is in that we've forgiven our debtors. Otherwise, to see a Christian who should be the very flag and banner of forgiveness, to see a Christian that should be the banner of forgiveness but does not forgive, it's like tasting a pudding that tastes of nothing. And the prayer is going to remind you and me again and again, if we've understood our forgiveness, we will desire to joyfully, gratefully forgive our debtors. Now, before I move on from this, of course I have to say that depending on what you, what you are having to forgive, this may take much prayer, the supernatural strength of God to move you so that you may forgive for perhaps it's something awful which has been done. But our heart's desire is to bend our knees before the Heavenly Father and say, teach me then how you have forgiven me so that I may forgive like this. 
and lead us not into temptation. That final priority of God, but deliver us from the evil one. Or depending on the translation, deliver us from evil. I was talking to um, one of our doctors here in the church just yesterday about how far I've come as um, my journey out of being a germaphobe. Okay, so first came into the UK and it was, it was a church that had a glass communion cup which you share, okay? And you, and you, were, you were to take a sip and then you would wipe it with a serviette which would then obviously spread all of that lovely lipstick from the person before, whatever. And then you would pass on to the next person. And, and I'd be thinking to, to myself, no doubt I will get something tomorrow. I will develop, perhaps I will grow an extra leg or something. I'll be sick, okay? All of these fears that I had, none of which materialized at all. When I was a teenager, I thought that if I go to a petrol station that had a dirty toilet, if I sit on the toilet without putting loads of toilet paper on there, a bacterium may eat my flesh. I mean, I was very gullible. I'm still very gullible, as you know. But those are dangers that we, we just perceive in our minds. They're perceived. They're not real. They may not be real threats. I mean, it's never happened to me. I never died from sharing a cup with even a child. We did at KFC. I mean, we were throwing, this was before lockdown, throwing, you know, um, jelly beans. Like I'd let a child throw a, a jelly, wherever their hand has been, throw a jelly bean in my mouth from a distance. Wow, that was a moment of faith. It's because I learned those weren't real dangers. And all the while, while I was worrying about all these dangers that weren't real, I was neglecting in my Christian life the one that is. That actually, although little microbes aren't out to get me, every place I, George was here this morning, wasn't he? Um, everywhere I touch, although they're not here trying to get me, the Bible does tell me in 1 Peter chapter 5, there is an enemy of all of the children of God who is prowling around like a roaring lion, trying to see who he can eat up, who he can turn away from the love of God. Not little germs, but a very real evil one who wants to do a very real evil. And as we finish the Lord's Prayer, I'm encouraged to see this. If I belong to my Heavenly Father, He's the one who leads me. He leads me, He guides me by His Spirit living in me. If you're a child of God, that's you. And yet we say, I'm aware of just how far I need to go, Father. Just how many more desires in my heart need to be changed. And so I pray, as you lead me, lead me away from temptation and from falling into it and doing evil. Lead me away because I know myself. I know I'm broken and messed up. And I need more of your spirit to change me. Give to me the way of escape and the strength to run to it. Now, just some final comments. The reason I've gone through the Lord's Prayer like this 
and not giving you some fancy alliterative headings, you know, every two minutes so that they all begin with P or some other letter, is because my encouragement to you is that all of these God's priorities that should be in our prayers, my encouragement is that you would memorize the Lord's Prayer and I've helped you flesh out a little bit about what we mean when we say these words. But it's difficult to pray. And in a book that I'd love to recommend to you by Julian Hardiman called Fresh Pathways in Prayer, he has some chapter headings that go a bit like this. And I just want to finish by encouraging you in this way. Different situations that the Lord's Prayer speaks right into. When I can't pray out loud, I beg God to teach me that it's not about me or about how eloquent I am or what others think about me. When my God seems distant to me and silent, I'll remind myself, he is my father, he's my dad, he's near me, he's intimate. I'm included in his family and he actually wanted it that way. He wanted me to be his child. When situations are hard, I remind myself, his kingdom is coming and he rules from heaven. My father in heaven. When we see injustice, we remind ourselves, hallowed be your name. It will be honored in the sight of all peoples when your kingdom comes. And I don't know what to say. Jesus has taught me I can at least repeat these words to my heavenly father. When we think that we don't have what we need, we remind ourselves that God is our provider. He is the one who is responsible for giving us our daily bread. If I think I need something which my father hasn't given me, then maybe I'm deceiving myself. When I feel smug about myself, when we do that, we will dwell on the forgiveness lines of that prayer. When we feel too rubbish or sinful or embarrassed to come to God, we're going to dwell on the fact that he is expecting us to come and ask for forgiveness. He wants to lift us from our guilt and our shame making us grateful that we have an advocate, Jesus. When we want to hold grudges and not forgive, we want to dwell on the link between being forgiven and forgiving. When I'm overwhelmed with temptation, I want to cry out, lead me away from temptation. The enemy would love nothing more than for me to not love my dad in heaven. Bless me with a way out, Father. So that's my encouragement to you. Memorize it. Pray it. Pray it without ceasing. If there's spiritual life within you and within me, that's what we want to do on our own. Even if quietly. And even if we don't enjoy it, discuss this question. Even if we don't enjoy it, shouldn't we simply, dutifully, because it's right, pray it anyway? I believe so.